0: Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. All right, here's the rules. Don't try to be like me, okay? I'm an idiot. And the ball is in the air. I'm thinking, oh no. It was only two shots each, so it wasn't a big deal. I'm not having a glass of wine. I'm having six. It's called a tasting and it's classy t what's up man? yippee ki everyone. Welcome into the very first episode of Birdies for Everyone, the official show of putting circles on the scorecard. I am your host, Taylor Williams. My friends call me T-Dub. If you're listening, you are now a friend, even if we weren't before. So just call me T-Dub or call me whatever you want. As long as I'm not called a explicit name, I've been called it plenty of times. So I've, I don't need to hear any more of that. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. I am so, so, I cannot express how excited I am to do this, just be able to spread all the great golf knowledge that I have attained over my almost 30 years of living and continue to do over the rest of my life. And um, most of y'all will probably know me from the 73rd Hole podcast. Me and Coley Powell started that up about probably two years ago now and then about a year ago, Sam Humphreys in Golf Oklahoma were able to jump on board and were able to make something really special happen. And we have so, so, so many great things coming for you guys later on this year, 2022, and it's only going to get better from here. 2021 was such a magical year for all of us, and we were so honored with all the blessings that our lives had been able to get over the past 12 months, especially with everything going on. So now we're going to just get the ball rolling and uh, get, things, get things started. So first of all, I just want to go into – kind of what the show, what y'all listeners can expect going forward. So, these are just going to be my own thoughts really. I'm going to just come on here, I'm going to talk golf, I'm going to talk life, I'll talk whatever's on whatever's on my mind. This is going to be it's going to be my show and we're going to we're going to have a lot of fun on the way and if you guys have any any feedback, make sure to let me know. I don't get on social media a whole lot, but uh, Taylor Williams is how you reach me there. T Williams 101 Instagram and Twitter, just Taylor Williams on Facebook, or my phone number is 405-278-1180. I don't have a problem giving that out. I give lessons in my spare time, so anyone who's needing to hit that golf ball a little straighter or make a few more putts, make sure to give me a ring, and we'll make sure to try to get something set up for you. Now, as far as to what you can listeners expect on the show, if any of y'all have seen a Marvel movie, what do you do when it's ends? You don't just leave the theater when the credits hit. No, 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 no. You got to stay till after the credits because there's a post-credit scene. You got to know what's coming forward, or you might just learn some new insight. I mean, that's just kind of how Marvel does it. They're the most successful movie franchise, I believe, ever, so might as well copy them. So, whenever you start hearing the outro music at the end of the show, do not tune away. There will be a little bit extra at the end for all you great listeners that want to stay till the very end. And some things to keep on the radar coming up: I will be doing a one-and-done golf special coming up, kind of my insights on how I plan for the year. We already got a tournament started this this week obviously with a century tournament of champions but much 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 more left even if you didn't make a pick the first week and you just get started the second week you still have a great chance to win because all it takes is a few winners to get that done so I'll be coming up with a show later on in the year and I'm not just some fool that's out here trying to do I mean I am a fool but I did end up finishing fourth out of a hundred and I believe 20 something people last year in our big pool and uh, so I do have a little bit of positive success on that front so hopefully we can keep that trend going this year and maybe let our listeners have a little bit more in- insight in that as well. Okay, so pretty much I'm going to start off by saying what I think is going to happen this year in 2022. I think 2022 may be one of the best golf years ever coming up. I I understand last year had the overload. We had, what, six majors and essentially a calendar year. It was pretty incredible and the Olympics going on as well. Just truly more remarkable stuff, but I will say this. I just think that with the way the tour is going and with how great all these young players are. I mean, we talked about it on one of our last shows on the 73rd hole. We had a big debate between uh, me, Colby, and Sam about um, Sam Burns. Sam Burns is number 10 ranked player in the world right now, and everyone just thinks he's going to be a-, a world beater, and I think he will be too, but at the end of the day, I think – I don't think he's the tenth best player in the world. And it's no if that's the point I try to make to those guys. I don't think there's anything wrong with Sam Burns. I think he's a phenomenal player. But there's so 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 many great golfers out there that I just I think there's gonna be so much competition. And it's it's just so hard nowadays. You can't you're not gonna see someone like Tiger. Unfortunately, even someone who could maybe have as much talent as him, which I don't even think that's possible, but you're not going to see guys win 9 times in a year. It's it's just not going to happen anymore. I think if someone gets to 5 anymore, it's almost like a legendary year. I mean, I'm talking like some one of the best years of all time. And I mean, I, will we see that I'm, maybe one of these guys gets hot, maybe a Rom Cantlay, obviously more Kawa uh, JT who I'm big on this year, is not off to the best start over in Hawaii, but like I said, a lot of golf coming up. And so I just want all of our listeners to to make sure to – even if there's not a big tournament going on, make sure to stick – I mean, there's going to be great golf every single week. Even some of the lower-rated fields are just going to be phenomenal to watch. And speaking of watching, let's go into what I think is one of the main points of the week is PGA Tour Live has switched. Um, no longer is it on just the what, PG, uh, NBC Gold or something like that is what was on in it. I mean, guys, I mean, we ripped it all the time. It was not – it was nice to have extra golf, right? I mean, it always is. The more, the merrier. But – the fact that they would only show one group and there was nothing more frustrating than whenever they would just have the leaderboard paired up for like 2 minutes just so you could see who was in the lead and it's like well we're not going to show any golf shots but we'll show you who's in the lead and we'll show this guy we'll change his score from 8 under to 9 under and we'll just put it on there and you don't get to see how he did it and it was so so frustrating especially for for strong golf fans like myself i know I like that so now we're over to ESPN plus and you know, a very small sample size so far. I only watched two days' worth up to this point. That I am recording this show on Friday afternoon. Hopefully, some guys coming home from your Friday trip or maybe just joining around the weekend can get a little bit of uh, listening in. So, off the two rounds I've seen of ESPN Plus, I think it's a home run. I'd give it an A- at worst. I understand that there's certain limitations you have. It's We're not going to have a situation like Augusta where we can see every single shot from every single player. It's going to take, I'd assume, maybe two decades, if it's ever even possible, maybe one decade if we just get an abundance of cash on the PGA Tour. But at the end of the day, that's just something that's really hard to, tr- to try to get right now. So well, from the jump that, from PJ PGA Tour Live last year, this year, I think, I think it's an A-plus. i heard a little bit of Andy North on the broadcast, and I think that you know, as much as I'm not the biggest Andy North fan, I do think he's a lot better th- than what we've had and just being able to see not just one single group. We've seen, even just watching, it seems like they've got three to four groups they tend to go to and they go to certain holes too they they try to say it's a featured hole like for example yesterday they said that the featured hole was 14 but they really didn't show a whole lot of 14 they really showed a lot of uh, 11 the par 3 that goes down the hill just a beautiful golf hole and so I don't have a problem with them doing that and so it was nice just being able to know that you weren't focused on one group of, of golfers to to watch for the whole day even if they started playing like shit you were able to get a little bit more more contact with some of the other guys. And so I I absolutely love what the, what the PJ Tour Live is doing now. And in all honesty, I, I think it's going to keep on going and keep being better. At least it should be in theory. And, you know, speaking of coverage and golf watching, I might have a hot take here. But in my opinion, the, the PJ Tour Live coverage has been better than the Golf Channel coverage. I truly think that. One of the things I've noticed about the Golf Channel coverage is that People just the announcers. They feel like they have to talk every minute. Feels like that there can't be a brick. Ki- they can't be just silent air. Can't just hear the golf shot hit. Can't just watch the ball land. We can't just listen to the players or the caddies talk. That's what we really want to hear. We don't want to hear Steve Sands or someone else just say something ignorant. We don't need that. We don't need something that they say three times in a broadcast. So when we watch a weekend, that's 12 times that we hear it. Then over the course of a year, I mean, in a month, that's 48 times that you hear the same damn thing. And that's no fun. And so I think that if we could just Like the announcers, you have to learn. You don't have to talk all the time. Well, if you're going to talk, say something fresh. I mean, I understand wanting to feel like you're filling content and make sure that people aren't just don't know what's going on because there are people out there watching golf that don't know what's going on. And this is a very big tournament, so you want to be able to get all the eyes and ears that you can, but at the same time, There's so many people that love golf and know golf, and I'm not the only one who listens to some of the stuff that these guys say and just shakes their head, and and it just can get annoying at times. It really can, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Just being able to watch this beautiful golf course in Hawaii and Kapaloo, and, you know, uh, going on to that point, uh, Sam Humphreys of 73rd Hole Podcast, one of my good friends, he was able to play Kapaloo on his honeymoon with uh, his lovely lovely wife, Reagan. They got married a few, few months ago, and so just an honor for him to be able to go out there, and he was telling us a little bit about it. It seems like such a beautiful place and uh, I definitely want to get out there and play it sometime just like most of the people in this world do but hopefully the wind doesn't blow like it is out there it doesn't look like it's blowing in abundance about 10 to 15 miles an hour probably closer to 15 gusts but uh, yeah if you get by the ocean may even get up to 20 so it's kind of hard to go out there and play without any wind going on so I want to go on to a couple other things I've seen so far from, from playing golf. Okay. And also, I want to let everyone know I am watching the golf live currently. And so, we got my boy Sam Burns who I picked in the one and done just hit a shot. Hit it about 15 feet past the hole. i, I got to say something about Sam Burns, too, real quick. My man Sam Burns had the old bogey-free round yesterday. And you know what think, bogey-free? That sounds really good. Well, it's not very good when you make 17 pars. My man made 17 pars and a birdie. And... He's off to a really good start today, ended up getting up to seven under, so he's making a little bit of run. But, man, that is – he made 15 pars in a row and then was able to make a birdie on 16, a little short par four, and then parred the last two holes. So didn't make a birdie on a par five all day, but didn't make a bogey on a par three or par four either. So – very steady not definitely not what he wanted i know he probably would have expected more but he's making up for it today with making a lot of putts and so really really like to see that i'm really shocked with the way justin thomas is playing this week i really am i think while there's still 36 holes left essentially even a few more for for these guys they're almost on the i think they're on the 15th hole or 16th hole or something like that so they got not very much left and i just think that maybe he's just not not fully focused and that can happen you go out to hawaii it's a beautiful place. A lot of fun stuff to do. It's the first week of January. Who knows how much golf you've been able to play up to this point? And someone like Justin Thomas, who on our, on our uh, 2022 preview show for the 73rd hole, I predicted JT to win the Masters and the U.S. Open, both. So a, a two-major year, which is something that very few golfers have been able to do in their careers. I think that I've set the bar so high for him that I guess, you know, if he if doesn't win every week that my expectations are low. But at the end of the day, I think that, He's at a point to where he's almost like, like Tiger was when he's when he was out playing. He would say, I only focus on the majors. Every single thing you do around the calendar year focuses on the four big majors. And, you know, it's different now because everything's a little bit more condensed than it was, right? So now you've got, you know, you got the made you got the uh, masters in April, you have the PJ Championship in May, you have the US Open in June, and the Open Championship in July. So all four majors take place in four months and you know, that used to be more spread out. So now you have to essentially get your game peaking for spring and early summer of golf. And so I think Justin Thomas is kind of in that mode. And it's like, what do you think? Well, you can just peak and play good all year round. Well, no, it doesn't really work like that. You know that you have a certain amount of, essentially, think of it as like a gas tank. You only have so much gas in the tank. If you go full speed rev up in January, you might run out of fuel in, in June or July. And so... I know that JT is not wanting to do that. And, you know, he's at 3-under right now. He's got a 6-footer to get a 4-under, so it's not like he's out of this golf tournament at all. But just from what I saw yesterday, hit a, on, I believe it's number 9, hit it way right, and JT did end up getting a 4-under. Um, hit it way right on 9, and essentially had a re-tee. And... You know, they say that these are fairly, these are some of the widest fairways on the PJ Tour. You know, if if you do miss the fairway, you are in some really tall stuff and you're probably not going to find your ball. So I do think that that is obviously something that can be intimidating. But to be able to hit a shot that far offline, and I'm not talking just like roll into the hazard. I'm talking like fly so far in it that you don't even have a prayer look at it. And. You know, saw saw a couple of those shots yesterday. He wasn't the only one. I saw Shaw Flay did the same thing. Um, obviously, most people are talking about Spieth on 18 yesterday. Um, his little toe three wood that he snap hooked, and it was so funny. I was just laughing so hard. He was asking if it cleared and if he could go hit it, and that that ball landed 30 yards short of clearing, maybe 35. It, it could have been 40. I it, I know it was at minimum 30 yards, and he wants to go down there and hit it. Good luck, Jordan. You're going to be there a while. He'd still be playing that hole if he tried to go fight and hit that ball. And so at the end of the day, he made the right decision there. But, And he, you could tell in his voice that that is something that is in his head with the way he was talking. He said, why can't you finish a round? And you know what? I've been there before. I remember I was in my junior days. There were times where I went through a phase where the last few holes, for whatever reason, whether it's pressure, nerves, anxiety – Whatever, it just you know, a lot of times the last few holes on a golf course are tough. So then you you make a few loose swings, you make some bogeys, and all of a sudden you got in your head that you can't finish around, and that's that's not even fun to deal with there. And so I think with Speeth, while that's something he's going to have to get over in his head, he's he I understand he toe and he toe hooked and the balls above his feet, so the ball's going to go a lot further left than he probably was anticipating, but you have to play way, way right if you're hitting a three-wood there. Especially with the thoughts of you can't finish a round. I mean, what is he trying to do? Hit it up there and make an eagle? He was already four under for the tournament. Leader in Cam Smith was eight under. You make a bird, you get the five under, your three back of the, of the leader with 36 or with uh, 54 holes left. I mean, that is by far the way to do it, but and you know, people would also be saying, well, if he hit it way right, and then, or if he aimed right and then flared it right, could have eas- would have probably made par. So, but that still would have saved a stroke. I just, and in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. So you think, well, if he, you know, if he just would have barely made it, you wouldn't be saying that. And, and, and that is definitely the case, sure. But he wasn't even close, guys. I mean, he was literally thirty yards away from clearing, and he knew as soon as he hit it that it wasn't clearing. I don't even know why he made as much of a yelling fit as he did. I mean, I, that that is the thing to do, I guess. You want to be hundred percent clear clarified and he probably was honestly just disbelief he's like did i really just hit that shot because it was that bad and you know we all been there justin thomas obviously did it a few years ago and infamy hitting it down there chunking it and he actually one year he chunked it twice and ended up winning the tournament very very impressive stuff as we watch jt on 17 here one thing i will say you know we talk about who's got the best swings on tour I mean, it's hard to beat Justin Thomas's just golf swing. I, I'm not going to say it's the best on tour. I think Rory or Louie probably has that title. A lot of people like Adam Scott. I think one of my friends, Johnny Ellis, made a really good point about, about Adam Scott. It almost looks jerky in a sense. It's like it doesn't look as effortless as it used to. Like back when two thousand four, two thousand three, when he was coming out, a little bit before that, even when everyone was saying, "Oh, this Tiger swing two he went to Butch Harmon, and everyone thought that Butch made him have that swing. And Butch came out and said that no, I, he came, he came to me with that swing. And Butch isn't one of those guys to just reinvent the wheel and make everyone's swing look the same. So that definitely wasn't the case. But in his younger days, everything just looked more fluid and and sync. And, I mean, he still isn't sinking away, but it just looks like his arms are wrapping around his body on the follow-through. And while the club is in just absolutely perfect position, I really do love his tempo. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to find anything to complain about Adam Scott's swing. I'm just saying I don't think it's in the upper echelon of, of top five swings. I just know a lot of people say that. I, I think Justin Thomas has a much better swing than Adam Scott. Just my opinion. Um, So... Anyone who wants to come at me with that, feel free to. That's just kind of how I feel. So, a couple more stories here I want to get into before, you know, finally shutting the door on the very first episode. Once again, thank you guys all for tuning in. I, this is an absolute honor, and I'm having so much fun already just doing this. So, one thing that uh, a lot of us local guys around Oklahoma uh, saw was an article on PJDur.com about about uh, Taylor Gooch. Um, the title was something along the lines of going from hometown hero to PGA Tour winner. And... At not only PJ Tour winner, he was number one on the FedEx points going into this week. Literally two months off of golf, essentially, from the PGA Tour. The last one was the RSM, I believe is what it was called. Yeah, in uh, in South Carolina. T. Gooch wins. Um, the article said he was one of only seven players or six players to lead after 54 holes and shoot 64 better in the final round. Um, some of that company include Rory, uh, Morikawa, Thomas, I believe, and uh, Joaquin Neiman, Siwoo Kim were some of the other guys. So very, very elite company there. A lot of those guys are number one players in the world. And I want to I emphasize this. Tee Gooch was a hometown hero, the definition of it. I remember hearing about him when I was nine years old. He was... He was a world-beater at 10, 11, 12 years old. I mean, just unbelievably good. Unbelievably good in high school, middle school, college. Everyone knows what he did at OSU, playing as a freshman. One of the things the article talked about as well was just the competitive nature, the the fight and the will to want to win. And he's had that ever ever since the first time we played with him when I was 15 years old. I mean, the kid knows how to golf, and he wants to win. He wants to win more than anyone that I've met, maybe excluding myself. But – he just has so much fire and passion for this game. Th- this is not the last that we've seen of Taylor Gooch. I mean, he's 32nd in the world, I believe, data golf uh, analytics site. we use has him ranked as a 17th player in the world. And I definitely think that that's, that's more likely because, you know, a lot of people can get, get hot with a putter or people who aren't that good with the driver can hit the driver good for a couple months and then play really good. But it's really hard to be streaky with the irons. Like, it seems like a lot of good iron players just are consistent. Like, obviously, Morikawa, Tiger are the guys we look at, Justin Thomas up there as well. But Taylor Gooch is one of the best iron players in the world. And I would say a top 10 iron player in the world. And, you know, I made this point before, but I want to reemphasize it. Very few golfers are great long iron players, middle iron players, and short iron players generally it's going to be like, middle iron players usually – the great iron players usually do really good at that. But then someone will be better with short irons than they are with long irons. Or, like, someone like Rory is better with his long irons than his short – and I don't mean he's better as in he hits a 4-iron closer than an 8-iron. I'm saying, like, for the tour average, he may be top 10 or 15 with from the essentially one, 175 to 225 range. And he may be in the middle of the pack when it comes to the 125 to 50, 150 range. And – I just think that T. Gooch is good at all three of those aspects, which is what makes him that good of an iron player. He can hit the long irons, he can hit the mid irons, and he can hit the short irons. And one of the things, too, is that, you know, obviously we see so many players from Oklahoma and Texas that are out on on the PGA Tour, and I don't mean just University of Oklahoma and University of Texas. I mean the states, Oklahoma and Texas. You have to play in so much wind in these states to play competitively. It's unbelievable. And not only just wind, but they're playing different types of wind. And people kind of might think that's weird as someone who hasn't played in it, but a north cold wind is a hell of a lot different than a south light wind, as I call it. And I don't mean light as in just blowing easy, I mean it's just not very thick air. And so when you're into the wind, whenever whenever it's a north breeze, it's going to be at least a club less than it would be if you're into the wind um, from a south breeze. Because, and a lot of people think that's just because it's cold. Well, in all honesty, the cold really doesn't make the ball go that much shorter. And according to TrackMan, it's only about one yard for every 10 degrees, but what you don't realize, too, is that your your body's colder, so then that restricts you from swinging. And most of the time when it's cold, you have five jackets on, so there's elements of that. But going back to my point about playing in those states, you have to learn to play in those different types of wind, which is something that people don't think about a lot, but it's super important. And... You know, I I know that from playing high school golf with them, Taylor Gooch played a lot of golf in, in the spring. And spring in Oklahoma is not, not fun golf to play in most of the time. Usually we're teeing off at eight thirty, nine in the morning, north breeze blowing at least twenty miles an hour. And if you don't hit your irons flush, you're gonna quit the game. I mean, there's there's really no other way about it because it's it's just so hard to get the ball close. The only other option you have when you're ever into the wind is you take like five clubs more and you hit a punch shot. Which that may get you around for high school when you're younger, but it's not going to get you done the PGA tour. So obviously that, that was nothing in his playbook. And so I just think that people don't understand how talented he is with his irons. And you know, just going back to the story as well, it was great to see input from from friend of uh, the seventy third hole and friend of mine, Kelsey Klein. W- what a hero that guy is. I have I've met probably 150 people in my life. Who know Kelsey. And not one of them said a bad thing about the guy. I mean what what a class act. And what a mentor he's been for T. Gooch. I know we've had both of them on our show before. And you know a a quick story. That I don't think a lot of people know about. That I want to share here. We we had T. Gooch and Kelsey on. Probably. It was right when uh, quarantine and everything started in 2020. Probably around March, April-ish. May somewhere around there 2020. And. During our interview with them, it was a, we interviewed them for about an hour forty five two hours. I mean, just so gracious with their time. Somewhere about forty five minutes in their interview, our our software crashed. We we had lost the first forty five minutes of our audio. We me and Colby spent hours hours trying to recover this audio. We couldn't do it. And also, want to thought that is the only time that has ever happened ever in any show that we've ever recorded had that problem ever. So it's like really the one our most prized interview, especially at the time, and still is because T. Gooch is one, one of the best guests that we could have. He's so gracious with with his insight and everything he gives, and that was the very first time we had him on, and we lost the first 50 minutes of it, and so me and Colby are freaking out. We we were just going to patch the last 50 minutes or an hour or whatever we had and make it work. Well, they said, hey, guys, you know, let's in a couple of days, let's just redo the first 50 minutes, and I get to thinking to myself, I said, how many people would have done that you know how how classy you have to be to, to take even more time out because of me and Colby screw up. Well, none of us really screwed up. It was a computer, but at the end of the day, it's our software, so we did mess up. And just that was unbelievable. that That's when that's when I kind of opened my eyes. I always I always loved T Gucci. He's always such a nice guy, and we always had a lot of fun uh, playing golf together. But at the end of the day. Being able to, to take time out to, to redo something like that and to make our product, which was nowhere near as big as it is now, to, to help us like that was such such an honor and just really, really sentimental to you. So I I just I love the the uh, PJ Tour article that was out there and I just wanted to let people out there listening to it. That the article doesn't do it justice. That man was on the P, Was known he was going to be in PGA tournament. was nine years old. I mean, nine, ten years old, maybe even younger. According to the article, he had, he had revved up one of his uh, little toy jeeps or whatever, so he could carry his golf clubs. That that's a really cool story, and uh, so that that does put a smile on my face. And I think that, like I, like I mentioned earlier, that there's a lot more to come from T. Gooch. He is going to win a lot more golf tournaments, and I believe major championships coming up as well. So, last couple of things here, I want to get to. A lot of people yesterday, I don't want to say a lot, of, it, again, a decent amount of people, were throwing a fit about Bryson chipping on the green. And for anyone who didn't see it, I can't remember the exact hole, but essentially he was on top of the ridge. It, it was two-tiered green. He was on top of the, the tier, the pin was at the bottom, and he wanted to chip over the ridge. And the principle of that is you want to chip you chip it over the ridge because if you putt it and stop it on top of the ridge, it's going to gain too much momentum that it's going to go past the hole, and you have no chance of getting it within six or seven feet. So, for anyone out there saying, I mean, you wouldn't have idiots saying it was like disrespectful for the greens because I mean it's PJ Tour term. It's not like out there. He's chipping every on every green. He's just doing it one, you know, that one occasion to try to improve his score, which at the time I didn't think was a bad play. The problem is, is that. He landed his chip right on the slope. Literally the exact opposite of what you want to do. If you're going to chip it, you either, and I don't see why you would land it on top to do it. You might as well just putt. But you want to land it on the bottom and try to put a little spin on it. And when you're on the green, especially out there with that Bermuda, if you nip it just right, you can put so much spin on the ball. So much spin. But... You have to, if you, even if it has a, a how much ever RPM's to spin it needs to just hit a one-hop stop. If it lands on a downslope, it's not going to stop. It's going to run, it's going to kick forward, and it's going to go 15 feet past the hole like it did. So, you know, people were saying, oh, well, why are you chipping? You're going to hit it like that. But, I mean, we can't all be Gary Woodland, like what he did at Pebble Beach, hitting the, that was it, 40-yard shot off the green to a foot whenever you had a, a one- or two-stroke lead in major championship? How much pressure you have to have to do that? Especially on Poana. It's like I, I don't know what <laughs> – I've never played on Poana, so I'm not sure what it's like to chip off of especially. But from what they say on putting, it can't be the the crispest of lies. So I, the, the minerals it takes to hit that shot is unbelievable. So I just wanted to clear up the air for anyone thinking that Bryson was doing something idiotic or whatever. I don't think it was that bad of a play, honestly. I just think it was very poor execution. Another big story I want to get to. U.S. Ryder Cup captains, Chief Stricker, almost died. From just, I can't remember the exact so Let me pull it up here real quick. Basically, just said that for weeks he was fighting for his life. He was in the hospital. And I wanted to say it was non COVID related. They made sure to point that out in the article. But oh, he was hospitalized for two weeks. How about that? And so, I mean, I don't care if you're in the hospital for two days. I mean, two weeks. My goodness, I mean that's it's gonna be hard. It says an article here. This article on GolfChannel.com. There's a few other places you can read about it, but this is where I'm getting this source from. It said he lost 25 pounds in two weeks at the hospital. It says uh, soaring white blood cell count and inflammation around the heart. None of that's good stuff. Um, obviously, the heart is probably the most important organ that you have, and. I guarantee you that one of the few times in my life that I've had, i known I've had a high white blood cell count is when I had staph infection and had it in my knee, and it was no, no fun at all. Couldn't even walk. So, I mean, all my prayers out to Steve Stricker, my goodness. I mean, how tragic would that have been? I mean, obviously it's tragic to lose anyone like that on a risky deal, but after the success of winning the, uh, the U.S. team, uh, being the captain of the winning U.S. Ryder Cup team, and not just winning, I mean just dominant fashion. We needed a win so bad, hadn't won since 2016. Thought Stricker did a phenomenal job. In all honesty, with the way the the team set up, it would have been really hard to mess that up. With with the one probably the best Ryder Cup team maybe ever assembled for the United States, but. And it said here, um, continuing on with the st- stricker injury, my liver number started getting worse. My white blood cell count was jacked up really high. I was fighting something. They couldn't find out what it was. So he's going through all this, and they don't even know what, what what's going on at the time. looks like they eventually got it figured out, and he's uh, slightly recovering. But, you know, he even says here he's having a uh, you know, hard time getting around. And so, I mean... And that's what makes it worse, too, right? If you don't know what you have when you're feeling that bad, I mean, it's that's so scary. To, to be in the hospital for two weeks and them just running every test they can to figure out what's going on. Because at the end of the day, you trust the hospital. You say... Well, the hospital got to know what's going on, and at the end of the day, they should. But you, you only know so much about the human body. You've got to run so many tests get it figured out. And praise God, they were able to, to get Stricker to, to not go up to heaven because it's. we saw Stricker last year at the Senior PGA Championship Southern Hills. Had a three-shot lead after 54 holes. Played very, very poorly on Sunday, something no one saw coming. But what a classic Stricker was. We, we got to a chance to interview him a couple times after his rounds, and he was very candid with his answers, very open. You could definitely tell he was a family man, had his priorities straight, and uh, he was able to take – we asked him some questions about his Ryder Cup captaincy, so that was very awesome for him to, to give insights like that. And so uh, it was definitely not Steve Stricker's time. It's still not, and so I hope that he can keep going even stronger than ever. And I want him to be the captain again for any U.S. team. I think he did a great job. I think the players really like him. They relate to him. And I understand in golf a lot of times that – People think that stuff doesn't matter, but look at the writer Cup that Tom Watson captain. Like Phil wasn't the only person who wasn't very happy after that. He was just the only one that voiced his opinion. So as much as I respect Tom Watson and his game, there's there's just players who can relate to the players more often. And whenever you're doing that, you gotta you gotta be able to motivate your guys. I, I don't I think people don't really understand that. And they say, well, if you can't get motivated, then you shouldn't be out there. And, and, that, and in a case, that's true, but any extra motivation you can get, the better. Because it's like, yeah, you can motivate yourself up to about 80%, but if you have someone else there pumping you up, you can get up to 100%. Then I would much rather be at 100% enthusiasm than 80%. And I think that showed at the Ryder Cup as well, because I mean, we were a talented team. We are not we weren't talented enough to double them up or whatever it was, 19-9. I mean, that was just a straight ass whooping. And it was beautiful to see, and hopefully we'll see many more of that to come. All right, so one of the... One of my favorite underrated times of the year is whenever new players, or whenever players, get new equipment contracts. For whatever reason, I love it. It's like, it's the closest thing to golf free agency we get, with the exception of college golf recruiting, which is essentially kind of hard to deal with, because or hard to follow, because you know kids are 16, 17 years old, it's hard to put much precision on how good they'll end up being so i i just love the uh the the equipment offseason as i like to call it so here's a few names of guys that are changing equipment biggest name probably abraham answer uh going to callaway officially you know i want to give a little bit of a uh, background here for it so he is switching to callow or he signed a deal with callaway but he's only going to play a callaway driver woods and an odyssey putter Well, he already had a Callaway driver and an Odyssey putter. So, essentially, the only thing he's adding in is essentially new 3-wood and 5-wood, if that's what he decides to go with. He was using a tailor-made 3-wood and 5-wood before that, so I think that will probably be the only new changes that we see in his bag. That's according to the uh, GolfDigest.com article that I'm reading right here. And, you know, currently uses a Mira irons. Those are some of the purest irons, and they – they usually don't sponsor players, from the way I understand it. They only have like ambassadors, that kind of thing. So I guess Abe was just saying, hey, you need to make a little cash. So I, hey, I'm all about that. He's got the tequila rolling. I'm all I'm all about some of that. And one point out here too, answer will be having Callaway on his hat. Uh, he has it this week as well in Kapalua. So and want, also want people to understand that, you know, equipment contracts are weird. There's, you know, people think that oh, just because you you sign a deal that you're going to play all their equipment. And a lot of times that's not the case. A prime example right here, I just mentioned Abraham Anser only switching, uh, only signed his deal with Callaway Woods, Driver, and Odyssey Putter. Another big get that Callaway had this offseason was U.S. Women's Open winner Sasso. And it's kind of funny. She is the exact opposite as Abe Answer. She's playing all Callaway. Her, her whole bag is going to be Callaway now. Well, before. She had a Callaway 3 wood and a Callaway hybrid. So she's going to have a new driver, new ball, new irons, new wedges, and new odyssey putter. That's quite a bit of change there. And, you know, that just goes to show the two different levels of contracts there. So Answer's not going to be playing a Callaway ball, Callaway wedges, or Callaway irons. But Yucasaso is going to be Callaway up, down, all throughout the back. And so, just want people out there to realize that whenever they hear someone switch brands, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be using every single one of their clubs. Obviously, the biggest off-season uh, equipment contract get was uh, Brooks Kepka going to Strixon, and uh, you know that we've all known about that for a while, so I won't break too much down into that. Here's probably the biggest shock from the equipment contracts that I've seen: Adam Scott's no longer a Titleist. That that that's honestly hard to believe. Uh, he's been playing Titleist ever since he was out here. I, I was talking about Scott earlier, about his swing and all that. But, th- I mean, whenever you think Titleist, like Adam Scott's one of the first few names that comes to your mind, at least for me. And it's going to be weird if he's out there not playing titles, because the thing is is that just because you're not on a deal with someone doesn't mean you can't use their clubs. It just means that he's not under contract to use them, so he can essentially play whatever he wants. But he's been using – excuse me – some. I believe they're Title 681s, MB irons, something like that. They're really, really old. I mean, I'm talking 15, 20 years old irons. And so for someone like me, it'd be hard to see him change change from those, especially right now. But, you know, if he gets on with another company and they want, they want to pay him the dough, then that's all that matters. But kind of like I was talking about earlier, if he goes – if he signs with somewhere else that doesn't want him to, or doesn't ask him to use irons, let's just say he uses everything else, then he can still use those Titleist irons. So, while, while Adam Scott's not with Titleist anymore in a contract, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to be using Titleist clubs. So, But that'll just be something to watch out for. We probably won't see him have any uh, Titleist logos anymore, so that may also be weird as well. Another underrated loss for Titleist, uh, Jimmy Walker. A PGA champion winner. Very underrated PGA champion winner. People don't remember because he fell off so much after his major. Jimmy Walker was a damn good player. when he was, It's almost like when he won that major, the PGA championship at Baltusrol, beat uh, Jason Day. He, he was honestly kind of had slipped off even a little bit before that. Like a year or two before that, he was unbelievable. He was a great player. He was like he won in, he won in what, Sony twice and, uh, I mean, I remember watching him and Jordan Spieth playing it out at, uh, I believe it was uh, TBC San Antonio. I may be wrong about that. But, uh, I mean, I just, I love Jimmy Walker. I like his swing. Kind of a late bloomer. He, um, you know, wasn't, people thought he was a lot younger than he was when he came out. But he's, uh, you know, wasn't that young as as a, let's see, right here. He was born in 1979, so that would make him... Now, okay, having trouble loading. 42 years old. Oh, Oklahoma City's finest. I keep forgetting about that. Uh, that's really cool whenever you think about it. So, 42-year-old Jimmy Walker won the PJ Championship back in, I believe, 2016. Let me make sure that's right. Yep, 2016 is when it was at Baltimore. So, about f- six years removed from that now. And, you know, looking back on it, here's the year-end rankings right here. In 2014, Jimmy Walker ended the year at, at 21st in the world. 2015 ended at 25th. Then in 2016... Even after his uh, PJ Championship win, he only got up to 21st. So I think that, or that's where he ended the year. Let me see what his actual highest world ranking was at any point. But I'm just going to say that I wouldn't have thought that Jimmy Walker would have fell off this quick. 329th in the world currently. And five and a half years ago, he won a major championship golf's a crazy, crazy game. He was, he was ranked 48th going into that PJ Championship he won, ended up moving up to 15th after that win. So, 2016, he was the 15th ranked player in the world and uh, currently ranked 329th. So if that doesn't show you that golf's hard, I, I don't know what, what can. And that's just the many, many of examples that, that, that prove that. So let me make sure that that was the highest he ever got. Uh, highest ranking, they said he got up to 10 in March 29, 2015. So uh, Jimmy Walker able to crack the top 10 of the rankings there. And that would make him, I just want to make sure I get my math right here. So he would have been 36, essentially, when he won that uh PJ Championship. A lot of people thought he was around the 31, 32 age, just because he came out with. uh, He was playing good, but when Spieth and uh, Fowler and all them were playing good, so he kind of got thrown into that mix when he was a little bit older. Last few names here I want to get to: Jordan Smith, a golfer on, plus majority on the European Tour, won the European Open. Not too long ago, he switched to all Titleist. He kind of jumped around a little bit. He was with Callaway last year, and I believe he was with TaylorMade before that, something like that. But he got he's uh, he's kind of switched around quite a bit. And then going on to here, Betnardi putters. They signed or renewed three guys that they already had: uh, Jason Kokrek, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and uh, Matt Kuchar. So good job, Betnardi. And, and I guess we'll we'll keep seeing Kuchar with the uh, the right arm lock putter. I, I still can't get over that. Not only, did, not only does he use right arm lock, he used right arm lock the week I picked him at the Masters. I picked him at the Masters this last year with uh, with Jordan Spieth. And he went to right arm lock, and he's one of like five players in miss a cut. Had finished his third in the week before, or two weeks before in the match play. I think he played in San Antonio too and played pretty well. And then all of a sudden, just that week, he switched to right hand lock, right, right hand arm lock. I'd never seen anything like it. They say his putter has zero degrees aloft. I mean that would be really hard, and you know people think that you want low loft on your putter to keep it low, and that and that's true. But if you have two, like if you used no loft on your putter and with a normal stroke, the ball's just going to bounce in the turf and pop up. It's it's almost like the reverse effect of like if you have too much loft, the ball's just going to pop like you're chipping it. Well, if you don't have enough loft, it's going to bounce in the ground. And in my opinion, I think that's harder to control distance and roll than if you just chip it because you at least know what the ball's going to do every time. You know, it's like like if you throw a ball into the ground, a lot of times you don't know how it's going to pop, whether it be a basketball or a baseball, anything like that. You throw it in the ground, you don't know exactly where it's going to bounce to. So I I think that what is doing is crazy there, and who knows, he might end up making it work for him, but I, I think that he needs to, to figure something out on that end. Especially, don't change the week that I pick, you gosh dang it. Um, but I will not let that mistake happen this year. So, everyone, make sure to keep on listening, guys. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. This will this is going to be the first of many episodes. Um, should only get better from here. I appreciate all y'all tuning in. Make sure to stay at the end for the post credit scene, as I'm going to call it coming up. I'm going to give what I believe is my favorite golf tip of all time. So it relates to golf, uh, golfers of all skill levels. So I think you'll want to tune in for that. And... Be on the lookout for my the one-and-done special. It should be coming up sometime next week. I want to get it out before the Sony open so we only have one tournament missed with uh, without that insight. So I'll try to get that out to you all as fast as I can. Make sure to tune in the 73rd Hole. As always, us, official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. We do our show Mondays and Tuesdays generally. And so i like to get that content out as fresh as we can. And so many big things coming the rest of this year, guys. So thank you all again so much for tuning in. God bless you all. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. My favorite golf tip of all time. Here it is. When you're on the range, or you're just out playing, whatever you want to do. Don't, don't do this when you're keeping score. But you're just out hitting balls, whatever. Set up how you're going to normally hit it. Set up just everything normal. Just take the club back to the top and pause. Hold it for about three seconds, then proceed to swing down and hit it. What's going to happen is, is that even if you're a great player or a horrible player, You're gonna, you have to be able to time your hands and your body and your upper body and lower body. Everything's moving independently. But you have to sync all that up perfectly. And what happens is, whenever you get that club stubbed to the top with a little bit of pause, like it's, you're gonna wanna feel like you're doing Hideki times 5,000. You're gonna feel it, you're gonna be able to feel the club, which I think is one of the most important things in the golf swing. Then, Whenever If you just do a normal pace swing, Tiger put it best, and that's actually where I learned this tip, watching an old uh, old video of uh, Butch Harmon and Tiger talking about some of the changes they worked on. Butch said that he would make Tiger hit this drill thousands of thousands of balls at once just to make sure that he was able to get it down because he's got to be able to sink everything up properly, like I said. And Tiger put it best. He said, when you do this drill, you can't cheat. What he means by that is you can't, you can't be way underneath the ball and then time it right and then hit it. You can't time it with your hands right and then hit it straight, because if you pause at the top and you're underneath, you're gonna fat it. There's no way around that. And if sometimes you can get if you get out in front of it too much and you're not underneath it, you're just gonna almost shank it every time because the hosel is gonna be coming into the club or the ball. I'm sorry. So my opinion, that's the best best tip out there. When you're out on the range, just hit take an eight iron or so. And hit some drivers as well, whatever club you're struggling with, especially with your tempo. And just make a few swings, take it back to the top, pause for three seconds, then make a downswing. And you'll be able to feel, that's the thing about it too, that's why I love it so much. You can personally feel what your body's doing. If you take it to the top and you feel your arms rush down, you know that you need to use a little bit more lower body. Try to press more into the ground, as a lot of, of them say on TV, use the ground for leverage. If you're a really good player, more than likely you're going to feel your lower body going down, and your arm's almost hanging back because you're trying to create that much lag and torque. Well, what happens is you stay behind it, but the club dips underneath, and then you're just going to fat it, like I said earlier. So really make sure that you are working on that tempo from the top. Just pause it and then swing down, and then you'll be able to know exactly what your ball is doing. After a few tips of that, swings of that, you will know essentially what your body's doing. You'll be able to time it all perfectly from there.